in the studio. The headphones are on and the sign above me, proudly displaying the Monsters Among Us logo, is lit. So you know what that means. It's time to get spooky. Now I took the past week off to spend some time with family. I hadn't seen them in more than a couple of years, thanks to COVID. So it was nice to do some catching up. It's always good to have family around. Well, as it turns out, if you're listening to this, you're part of the Monsters Among Us family. And in this family, we don't hug. We terrify. So please, allow our anonymous caller from the state of Mississippi to show his affection. Hey, I'd rather not use my name, but I'm from Mississippi. And I was hunting one day, and I was in my climbing stand, seen a whole bunch of birds there, and there was, I bet there was maybe a hundred birds. They were just playing in the stream and whatnot. And I was just watching them because there wasn't a whole lot of movement going on besides them. And then after a while, I heard some frogs off in the distance. They were loud, just loud frog croaking sounds. So I sat there for a little while, and after a while, the birds, all the birds flew up and left. And so me naturally just thinking, you know, something spooked them, in my case, would be a deer, I would thought. Nothing ever showed. And after a while, the frogs, was it was just really prominent and loud, just stopped like something walked by them. So naturally, again, you know, I anticipated a deer, and I never saw one. So it was most loading season, so it was about February. And so I got down on my climbing stand, and when I, I got out, got everything packed up. At this time, it was dark. I stayed well past what I should have. But normally on the way in and out, I'll follow deer trails. I'll just follow them on the way in, and then on the way back out, I'll just backtrack the way I came in. Well, this particular time, it was darker than what I should have been, like I said. But I've been hunting my whole life, and whenever I was on my way out, I heard something. So my immediate thought was a deer, but it was kind of strange because it didn't spook like a deer normally does. It kind of just rustled around to let me know it was there, and it was about 10 foot from me on the other side of this deer trail, which was, you know, head high to me, and I'm six foot. But 
I waited there for a second to see if it was a deer, and nothing ever happened. Um, it was, it was, a, I don't know. So I sat there and I waited, took my flashlight, and I shined around through there, and I never could see anything. So I said, well, maybe I can, you know, kind of stick my head underneath a, a, a crossing deer trail right there because I'm not moving, you know. I'm not. I'm just standing in one spot because it's kind of kind of frozen. So I, I put my, my head down through the, the crossing deer trail, and when I did, I noticed that there was a, about a four or five foot, almost like a, a burrowed out nest in the undergrowth. It's almost like a dog is sitting in the same spot for a long time, and you get this almost bowl shape of undergrowth. So, you know, that just kind of threw my attention. But as I sit there and waited to figure out what I was going to do or what it was going to do, I decided, you know, at this point in time, whatever it is, if it wanted to hurt me, it would have done so. So I decided I was going to take a step on the way out of here. You know, because I had, I had my gun, but I mean, I'm, I, I practice good, you know, hunter safety, but I, I was, I was terrified. I think the part that scared me the most is I didn't know what it was. But, uh, I waited for it, and as soon as I took a step, whatever that was, whenever I stepped, it stepped, but it was not like a deer walking through the woods. It was almost like a soft padded foot, whatever it was. And I stepped twice, and it stepped twice with me. And at that point, I decided, you know, I just needed to get out of there. But I went further, you know, at that point in time, I just got out as fast as I could and, you know, hoped nothing else would happen. On my way out, I just got out of there as fast as I could. Like I said, I've been hunting my entire life, and I'm 34 years old. And I've never been that scared in the woods. And I don't know why I was that scared, but it was terrifying. So the next day, I decided I was going to go back and try to find out what it was or, you know, get some kind of answer because, you know, I'm trying to be very open-minded about this. I didn't smell anything out of the abnormal, so it's nothing a pungent smell that you talk about. But I went back, and I never could find out the exact spot that I was at. It's just, it was just really eerie. I've been listening to your show for a while now, and I heard this guy, I think he was in Florida, with almost the same exact situation. So I don't know what it was, but, you know, maybe you could use this. But if not, thank you. Thanks, caller. There's nothing worse than getting that feeling alone deep in the woods. It could very well be his imagination coupled with a bit of paranoia, fueled by countless stories of bear, cougar, other predatory attacks, or tales of folks abducted by other humans. Regardless of the origin, those tales are always rising to the surface when you catch yourself in a vulnerable situation, just as our caller did. Now, of course, we've also heard plenty of story seemingly assigning the paranormal to these odd feelings in the woods. Aliens, the Fae, and even Sasquatch have been accused and fingered as the culprit. And although on the surface, Mississippi isn't known as a Bigfoot hotspot, 
I can't help but think that that might be what our caller was alluding to, even if he didn't come out and say it. But to say Mississippi has no history of the big guy would be a big fib. And at least, in my opinion, would cheapen our caller's experience. Now any long-time listener of the program will recall Mac's entry from a few years ago, where he described hunting in the state of Mississippi, only to fall from his tree stand. He was later purportedly tended to, and even breastfed, by what he believed to be a female of the species. So, we know there's at least some activity reported there. But, Max Call isn't the only quote-unquote evidence in support of a creature down there. No, for decades, folks in Mississippi claim to have had run-ins with a Sasquatch-like creature they call the Chattawa Monster. And unbeknownst to most of the country, back in 2015, this was also going on in the Magnolia State. For residents of Tiny Taylor, Mississippi, it's the classic case of things that go bump in the night. Strange noises, unexplained shadows, and dogs barking for no reason have become the norm, all associated with what many in the area called the swamp booger. A sudden rash of animal mutilations and strange droppings have many believing that the mysterious creature is anything but a myth. I ain't never seen nothing like that. Aubrey Dale is a cattle farmer and was once skeptical of what he considered a fairy tale. But the discovery of some of his livestock torn apart by an unseen attacker and unexplained feces in his backyard has Mr. Dale rethinking his previous stance. We had some cows tore up in the field, man. There was this, there was this, this stuff on the ground, this, this crap, man. I ain't never seen nothing look like that. Though many in the area believe that this is the work of a Sasquatch, for now, local authorities aren't commenting on their investigation, but they are looking into the reports that grow in number with each passing week. For Tina Bragg, the answers can't come soon enough. I live by myself, and let me tell you what, I'm going to be some scared somebody until the government or somebody comes down here and does something about this creature that's been terrorizing this town of Taylor. I'm, I'm tired of it, and, uh, you know, everybody else is. And I want to know what it is, and I want it gone. That one courtesy of WDAM, News 7 out of Moselle, Mississippi. And full disclosure, some folks in that video claimed another upright, hair-covered creature to be at fault. Not Sasquatch this time, but the South's own werewolf legend, Luke Garou. Watch the full clip found in the show notes and draw your own conclusion. And until we all have time to decide... I'll urge all Mississippians to be extra careful out there. Just in case. Thanks again, caller, for the nerve-wracking entry. Now, if you have a true paranormal story you would like to submit to the program, give the hotline a call at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Now, I receive dozens of submissions a week, and it takes some serious time to process them all. So please do me a favor. Don't submit and then email me a week later wanting to know why you haven't heard your story on the show yet. If you promise to be patient, I promise I'll get to as many calls as possible in a timely fashion. That said, we certainly appreciate all those entries. And speaking of entries... This next one was sent in by Dan 
in the state of Oregon. Hey, Derek. Thanks for everything you do, and thanks for all your crew and supporters and everything. This is Dan from Oregon. Anyway, I called this time with a, a secondhand UFO story that I guess, because I haven't spoken to this person about it, I'll just say that this person is very close to me, and they are not a liar. They have absolutely no reason to be and never shown me to be in their life. And they told me a story about a place out in northeastern Oregon, out where I grew up, a lone mountain that's, you know, out in uh, kind of the high desert of sagebrushy, scraggly desert, kind of stands out alone. And the story, I guess, is kind of short and sweet. They just uh, saw a giant green light illuminate the top of the mountain for a good portion of the night. And then just, uh, as I recall, shoot straight up into the sky and disappear before daylight. And as far as I know, that was the only time it ever happened. And that's what they, that's the story. That's what they told me. And I heard that story multiple times growing up. And it was experienced by more than one person at the time. So the person I originally heard it from, like I said, uh, a very truthful person and the other people that were there, well, like I said, it was witnessed by multiple people, so they corroborated it. But anyway, that's the the whole secondhand, truly unidentified flying object story. Green light, huge iridescent sort of light that lit up the entire mountain for most of the night and then shot up into the sky. And I don't remember them telling me where it came from or how it got there or anything like that, but it just lit up the top of the mountain and then took off. So anyway, yeah, that's it. Thanks and have a great day. God bless. Short, sweet, and to the point. Thank you, Dan. Now as I absorbed what Dan was detailing, I couldn't help but wonder if What the witness saw was simply the Aurora Borealis or the Northern Lights. The longevity of the sighting and the green tinge to the lights only helped to cement that theory for me. Now, of course, from what I understand, seeing the Northern Lights in Oregon is not all that rare. So you'd think these witnesses would at least be a little bit familiar with the phenomena. Yet they seemed steadfast in their claim that whatever they were seeing was highly unusual. So perhaps another listener out there may have some info on this one. But until we hear from them, thanks as always, Dan, for the entry. Now, folks, summer is here, and so is the newest line of Monsters Among Us merchandise, this time featuring a gnarly alien big cat design by Mark over at Hog Island Press. And this beauty is available in both light gray and yellow. And it's also available in yellow koozies and gray tank tops. For those that let the guns out each summer. So pick up that and much, much more by visiting our shop at monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop. Now speaking of ABCs, this next entry takes us to the state of Louisiana. Tom. Go ahead with your encounter. Hello, Mr. Hayes. Call me Tom. I'm from Louisiana. Just wanted to call in and tell you about my big cat story. Now, this happened back in, I'm going to say, early 2000s. I was about eight or nine at the time. And we were riding back home from my grandpa's house one night, me and my brother on a four-wheelers, and 
my mom following behind us. Well, the road we was on cuts across between two parishes, and we were in West Law, West Central Louisiana, going from Sabine to Vernon. And we were coming around a curve, and about 20, 25 yards in of us, we had not one, but two big black cats run across us in the middle of the road. There couldn't have been nothing else because one cat stretched across the road and the other one was right behind it. You know, we had our mom following behind us. You know, we're kids at the time and it's nine o'clock at night. Well, like I was saying, we could, you couldn't confuse them with nothing because from head to tail, they stretched all the way across the road and this is a one lane road. And, you know, I've told people about it before and you know, they swear up and down it's mountain lions from East Texas, which I don't believe because when you got two sets of lights on brights on them, you know, big four foot, four or five foot long patch of black stands out. But that's my story about how I about ran into two big black panthers here in West End Law, Louisiana. Hope you can use it. Have a good day. Thanks, Tom. Now, as if glimpsing one of these elusive creatures isn't unsettling enough, he had to go and find two. And at such a young age, now having experienced something similar at roughly the same age, I completely understand your confusion. And I'm afraid that's all we really have. Questions and confusion, even after all this time. What are these things? Where did they come from? And most importantly, I suppose, how dangerous are they? I only wish I had some answers for you, Tom. But until I do, thanks again for sharing the entry. Now for our next creepy call, we venture back to the Pacific Northwest, where Dave in Washington is awaiting with a tale. Hey, Derek. Uh, this is Dave again. Um, when we first bought the house that we moved into, that's been 20 years ago or so now, my wife's grandmother owned the house, and she passed away. She didn't pass away in the house, but she did pass away. We ended up buying it at that point, and the very first night that we stayed in the house, we'd cleaned up and done a lot of work on it, but we moved in and, and put our, our all the furniture in, including our bed, and we went to bed that night, and we decided the very first night that we stayed there that we wanted to watch TV in our room, which happened to be the same room that Terry's grandmother uh, slept in, too. So we go in, we lay down, and this was, <laughs> to you how long ago it was, it was a VCR that we had at that time. I had a VCR with a TV combo, and it was over, and it was playing a movie. And I have to admit, the movie was, uh, you know, a little bit more risque probably than what she would have watched, but I didn't think, you know, anything about it. It's just me and my wife watched the movie anyway. But anyway, we turned it on. And we're laying in bed, and all of a sudden the TV turns off. And I looked at Terry and said, huh, that's weird. I got back up, walked over, turned the TV on, went back, laid down in bed. And about the time I laid in bed, the TV turned off again. And I remember at that point I looked at her and I said, this is something strange going on. I'm not really sure what's happening. I said, but this, are we having an electrical problem or something? Maybe there's something going on in the, in the electric on the wall. So I got back up. And I can't remember if it happened two or three times, but on the third time, when I got up, I walked towards the TV, and this time, the strange thing about it was the TV and the VCR had turned off. And as I walked over to go to the TV, 
as I got up out of bed, the TV and the VCR turned back on and started playing. And I remember I walked over to the TV, stood in front of it, looked at it, and I turned it off. And I looked over at my wife and I said, uh, somebody doesn't want us watching that. I just, I don't want to deal with it. I don't, I don't know what's going on, but that's weird. So we went to bed. The next morning we wake up, I have a certain routine that I do when I get up in the morning. I get up and I always had the toffee pre-made. I had kids at that point that lived at the home and you had to walk through the living room to get to where the coffee pot was at. And I will always go through and start it and then come back and get dressed and, and you know, go brush my teeth, do, you know, get the stuff getting ready for work. And I remember I'd opened the door and this was the next morning after what had happened with TV that night. We had this old rocking chair, but it was a, a wooden glider rocker and it had a white afghan that sat over the top of it. And I don't know what time it was in the morning, but it was there was enough light coming into the front window that you could see the ambient light in the room. And as I opened the door and started to step out, and I hadn't put clothes on because I just knew to turn the, the coffee pot on, I noticed that the white afghan that's draped over this wooden rocker was going back and forth right next to me as I walked out the door. It's right in front there. And I, I noticed I caught the edge of it, and it seemed like it was moving. I stuck my head around the window, and I saw that the rocking chair was moving. And I said, oh, who's up? And I waited, and there was no answer. And I said, well, who's up? And at that point, I walked out, and I stood beside the rocking chair. And about that time, my wife yells from the bedroom. She goes, who's up? And I'm looking down at the rocking chair, and I go, uh, nobody. And she goes, what do you mean, nobody? And I go, well, I, before I say anything, I said, let me ask you a question. I said, how long did I ask you who's up? I said, how many times did I say that? She says, twice. And I said, how long do you think that took? And she goes, I don't know why. And I go, well, I said, just humor me. Was it like seven, eight seconds I sat there and then called? She says, yeah. I says, well, this thing was at full rock, going back and forth like somebody was sitting in it. And I'm watching in the light the Afghan move. I said, and then I walked around the corner. I stood at it, and it slowly went from full rock where you could hear it hitting the front of it and hitting the back of it, and, and it's stopping. And then when I walked and stood beside it, it just slowly came to a rest and stopped. And she told me, she said, well, maybe it was the cat jumped in it. And I, I, we argued the point for a couple of seconds, and I finally said, I go, let's take your, your example. So I went and grabbed our cat. I put it in the seat, and I kind of, you know, put my hands up as I kind of screamed at it. And it jumped out of the seat, and it moved like, I don't know, a half of an inch and then stopped. And this thing was at full rock for close to at least somewhere between 7 and 10 seconds. And between what I saw the night before... And what I saw that morning, I knew that there had to be something going on with the house that I couldn't explain. And because and, that rocking chair going back and forth for as long as it did was it had to have some force doing it. Another thing that happened not too long after that was my kids had the back bedroom and they uh, had their cousins over. I had two kids at the time that were about, I don't know, seven or eight years old. And then the three cousins that had came over. My wife's sister and her husband and then me and my wife were out in the living room sitting there talking. And this was probably, I don't know, within a few months after first moving into this house. All of a sudden, screaming at the top of their lungs, all five of these kids come running through the back, through the, the dining room, out into the living room and jump on the couch and said, Mom, Dad, it's like there's some... And what they said happened was they were playing in the bedroom. And all the kids had trucks and cars and stuff, and, and they were playing on the floor. And my son, I had bought him this, it's a great big long, probably three foot long uh, fire truck. 
that had the, um, the ladder truck hooked onto the back part of it. And it was in his closet, in the back part of the closet, and then in the front part of it, there was uh, a bunch of stuff stacked up. I knew that I wanted to keep, he, doesn't, he didn't play with that as much, so I stacked it in the back. This thing evidently had came out of the closet, launched across the room, slammed into the wall above where his bed was, and landed on the bed. And all five of the kids said they looked at it and then just ran screaming out of the room and, and couldn't believe what they had saw. And not too long after that, on, within a couple days, my wife and I were sitting in the living room, we were watching TV, and we had on top of the refrigerator, there was some tortillas sitting on top of where the bread box was. And as we're sitting there watching, we heard a loud sound of something hit the ground. We, I, I'm like, What's the, what was that? And I get up and I walk in the living room and those tortillas that were sitting on top of the fridge were in the middle of the uh, kitchen on the floor in the middle of the room. So it, that's just a few examples. I could go on with quite a few more examples that happened at the beginning of when we moved into the house. This was 20 some years ago and we still live there and we've kind of made peace with whatever it is. But every now and again, we get examples of you'll hear something walk through the house in the middle of the night, or you'll hear a door close and I've heard voices before. So there's a lot of things that happen, but I wanted to give you some stories about one of the things that happened in our house that we still live in to this day, but I guess there's got to be something on the other side. And I, I don't know what the explanation is, but it got to be something. So thanks for uh, all that you do. Really love the podcast. Love to listen to all the different stories of different people that hear the things like and see the things like what we do. And just really appreciate what you're doing for us, giving us an avenue to, to get our stories out there, too. So thanks. Thanks, Dave. I've always found situations like these a bit unsettling. Mostly because... Like me, I assume many listeners believe that grandmother is to blame for all the strange activity within the home. But there's no guarantee that's the case, nor is there any evidence that I'm aware of that could support those claims. So my guess here is that it's probably not dear old granny. Which then fills me with a sad and terrifying realization. If it is not grandma that's haunting the place then it's likely she, too, endured the strange activity when she was living. Only I bet it was a bit more terrifying for her, as she had to go it alone. Sometimes it's easier to just ignore the signs and go with the assumption that it's our dear old loved one simply visiting. And I'll allow you to continue to think that, Dave. Thanks for sending in the story, and please do let us know if things happen to escalate. Now next up, we venture to the bluegrass state of Kentucky, where Savannah had some strange encounters that were out of this world. Hey Derek, my name is Savannah from Eastern Kentucky. I was going to call just to tell you about some things that my husband and I normally see pretty normally in our skies here. When it gets dark outside, me and my husband like to go stargazing, and it's become a pretty normal occurrence for us to see what looks like a really bright star moving across the sky at a pretty fast pace. And we know it's not a plane because planes have blinking lights. And we've seen several of them in the sky at once. They sometimes will move light erratically. Other times they'll just fly across the sky and eventually dim out. They're not moving super fast like a 
like a shooting star or anything. So we know that that's not what it is. It just, it's moving at a pace of an aircraft. Like I said, there are no blinking lights. There are no lights at all. It just looks like a star. I have an app on my phone that I pull up pretty regularly when we see these. And I, you know, try to see, because it tracks satellites and things like that. It's called Night Sky. And I pull it up pretty regularly to see if maybe it's a satellite and it shows nothing. So, like I said, it's become pretty normal for us. Every time that we step outside and see one, we're like, oh, hey, look, another UFO. There was actually this one time that my husband, we have a flashlight that has a zoom feature on it. And it will create a really, um, I don't know how to describe it, a really bright square from a just a regular flashlight spot. And it will zoom in and have like a really bright square that you can shine on something far away. My husband used the zoom feature on something that he presumed was a UFO like we saw. And it got really bright all of a sudden, like super bright. And moved faster across the sky and then disappeared all of a sudden, like out of nowhere. And it freaked both of us out. Both of us saw it. We're not under the influence of anything when these things happen. We just see them, and they've become kind of normal for us. So I'll call in with more stories. I love your podcast. Thanks. Thank you, Savannah. I love those Skyviewer apps. They certainly take a lot of the mystery out of the nighttime sky. But of course, in those rare occasions when the app also doesn't know what we're looking at, it's certainly a cause for concern. But the phenomenon described by Savannah is nothing new to the state of Kentucky. In fact, the residents there were dealing with something quite similar even 45 years ago. The following clip is property of WLKY out of Louisville, Kentucky, and originally aired on February 5th, 1978. Bloomfield is a small town about 40 miles to the southeast of Louisville. Its population is about 1,100. But don't think that because it's small, nothing ever happens here. In Bloomfield and the communities surrounding it, UFO sightings have become almost a nightly experience. And residents have been doing a lot of stargazing since the sightings began about two years ago. They usually happen outside of town, but not regularly. They've appeared on clear nights and on cloudy ones, usually between 10 and 12 in the evening. Out and about radio reporter Bonnie Drake says 25 to 50 residents have actually seen the UFOs. And she herself had an encounter here on a quiet road just to the northwest of town. She describes it as six amorphous balls of light above a treetop. They lit up the sky like daylight. Well, after a while, these things begin to move upwards. They move sideways. They would form, uh, look like a letter of a sort. And any time a car would pass along the road, they would go out. And then after everything got dark and still again, then one by one they'd come back on. Or if an airplane came over in the vicinity, they would go out. And then one by one they'd come back on. Some things never change. And of course, the state is also home to the Hopkinsville Goblin attacks of 1955. I know I've spoke about those at length in past episodes. So I think it's safe to say that there's something odd taking place over the state of Kentucky. What that thing is, we've yet to figure out. Thanks again, Savannah, for adding to that anecdotal evidence. 
This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Are you experiencing a lack in motivation? Are you feeling helpless, trapped, detached, fatigued, or even worse? These are symptoms of burnout, and you could be suffering and not even know about it. Now, we normally associate burnout with our jobs, our work, but that's not the only cause. Any of our everyday roles in life can lead us to feeling burned out. Sometimes I myself have a hard time taking a break, whether it's from work or projects around the cabin. But I found that my production and creativity increase after I started forcing myself to take breaks. So maybe you'll benefit as well. BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you to prioritize yourself. Talking with someone can help you figure out what's causing stress in your life. Personally, therapy has given me the tools I need to deal with my stress and anxiety in a healthier way so I can be the best version of myself. Now, BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Now, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Monsters Among Us listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com forward slash Monsters Among Us. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash Monsters Among Us for 10% off your first month. As always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening and back to the stuff that keeps you up at night. Now this next one is difficult to categorize, so I'll just let you take a stab at it. Please welcome Adrian from California to the program. Hey Derek, this is Adrian calling from San Diego, California. I have a story uh, to uh, to tell. Uh, it's not my story. It's actually my mother-in-law's story. Recently, Fourth of July weekend, uh, we were camping, and she joined us. And you know, sitting around the campfire, you know, having a couple of drinks, you know, she started telling us some stories that she experienced, or that her family, her and her parents uh, had experienced when she was a kid, or it might have been actually before she was born. But apparently, she was born and raised in uh, Tijuana, Mexico, right here on the San Diego border. The way the story went that she was telling us was that where her parents lived with her older siblings when they were kids, they lived on a street that had a corner market, and that her father and the owner of the little market were friends, So her father would go over there and hang out with him. And well, one night he was uh, over there, you know, hanging out. And uh, uh, apparently, you know, he got drunk and was over there and was drunk. And my my mother-in-law's mother, uh, which is my wife's grandmother, had to go over there to retrieve him. So she went over, picked him up, you know, started walking back to their their home. And apparently she was uh, she was kind of upset. And uh, he was, you know, drunk. And they were walking back. And it was that night. All she knew was uh, that it was in the middle of the night. She didn't know what time it was. Um, But it was dark. And they were walking on the sidewalk back to their home. Suddenly, she said that a robed figure, or a hooded figure, all in a dark robe uh, with a hood on, she says as they were walking, this figure went right between the two of them. 
walking in the same direction and, and kind of passed them. They immediately saw the figure and, you know, were kind of uh, shocked but confused by it. And from what she was saying, that her grandmother was looking at it and thinking like, hey, this is really weird, that there's something definitely weird here. But she noticed that it wasn't walking. It was actually floating. And as it went past them, it was kind of moving along, floating along. And then she said it started, you know, rising up into the air and then uh, vanished. And so that's the story. Uh, they didn't, they never knew what it was. And she was, you know, frightened. He, he sobered up immediately when he saw that. And they just went home and, uh, you know, told their kids. And, and that's the story. So my wife's mother-in-law was, uh, was telling us the story. And, you know, I just, I thought it was pretty cool. So, you know, I'm just calling to report it. I love your show. I hope you can use the story. Uh, long time listener, patron. Thank you. And uh, keep doing what you're doing. All right. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you, Adrian, for preserving that experience. Whatever it was. I always get a kick out of these entries from south of the border. Unicorns, human-owl hybrids, creatures in cloaks. The sky has the limit down there. And Adrian certainly is no exception. So keep the stories flowing, folks. We certainly can't get enough. And thanks again, Adrian. And a huge thanks for the support over at Patreon. Much obliged. Oh, and by the way, tonight's episode is the first featuring the extended stories for Patreon. So if you haven't yet signed up, do so over at patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us podcast. I'll have more information on accessing that bonus content later in the program. Now somehow we've gone this long into the episode without mentioning the phenomena we refer to as shadow people. So with Jill's help, let's rectify that situation. Hi, my name is Jill. I'm calling from Fargo, North Dakota, but my story takes place in Minnesota. And it takes place in the summer of 1990. I call it the time I communicated with a shadow man. Okay, so it takes place in 1990. I had just graduated high school, and my friends and I had spent the summer working and going to bonfires and house parties and partying all summer. By late summer, people were getting kind of tired of parties, and stuff wasn't really happening as much. The night this happened, it was late summer, nothing going on. It was super hot, heavy weather, muggy, drizzly. The kind of weather, you know, a big storm is coming. So I worked um, until like 8.30 or 9 and then stopped by my boyfriend's house and we sat out on the porch and shared a cigarette and talked for a little bit in the rain and then I drove to my family's house. My family lives in a rural area. It was about 15 miles out of town, west central Minnesota, and for a visual it wasn't like a run-down old farmhouse. It was just a small white ranch-style house that my dad had built the year I was born. So it was less than 20 years old. And by the time I got home, it was like between 10 and 10.30 at night. And my parents were already in bed, and it was raining harder. And you, you could just tell there was going to be a big storm. So I went down to the basement, and I turned on the TV. I was going to watch David Letterman. But at some point, I must have fallen asleep or something. 
But I was always scared of basement, so I knew that I left the light on. And I know the TV was on. And I fell asleep on a couch that runs across the middle of the basement, so half the room was in front of me and half the room was behind me. So there I am. And at some point after that, what I describe as a man in black, I've always called him the man in black because I didn't know this term shadow man until I started listening to your show. So this man started communicating with me telepathically from behind the car. And he told me, without words, telepathically, that if I concentrated really hard, I could change my molecules and become invisible. And I said, I don't think I can do that. And he said, yes, try it. So (laughs) I tried very hard, but I, I couldn't make myself disappear. So then he said that he would help me and together... Whatever we did, I concentrated super, super hard, and I became invisible. And it was incredible. And I was like, no way. I can't believe I'm invisible. And then I said, if I can change my molecules to become invisible, why can't I change my molecules into a thought, go into your head, and change your mind? And then the fun was over. The man behind the couch didn't say anything, but I could feel that he was like either mad or really displeased I could just feel it (laughs) and then there was like a big boom like a crack of thunder or something and my eyes popped open and my body was there and I was just tingling with like electricity like how when your foot wakes up from you sleep my whole body was feeling like that and all the lights were off and the tv was off and I was absolutely freaked out. And I ran up the stairs, and as I was going to the kitchen to my bedroom, I looked at the clock, and it said, like, 12.30. And I ran to my bedroom, I shut the door, and covered myself up with a blanket, and I just, my heart was pounding. It was so freaky. And I just stayed there till I fell asleep. <laughs> and then in the morning, I laid in bed for a little bit, thinking, wow, what a crazy dream I had. That was just nuts. That seems so real. And I went out into the kitchen and my mom was making herself some toast and she didn't make eye contact with me. She was just kind of mad. She was kind of mad at me because she thought I had gone home late. She said she was getting her toast and she said, why did you get home so late last night? And I laughed and I told her I was home early last night. I just went to the basement and I was watching David Letterman. And she she got kind of mad and she said, you were not in the basement last night. I went downstairs because of the storm to unplug the electronics and you weren't there. <laughs> so I couldn't argue with her because I could, I've been out every night all, you know, all summer and like she's going to believe that I had become invisible on the couch. But I firmly believe that that is what happened. And to follow up a little bit, like four months, I couldn't wear a watch. Like if I put on a watch, it would stop working and I would take it off and it would run. So I would think I would have a defective watch and I bought like two other watches and they both did the same thing. So I don't know. I believe it happened. (laughs) Okay. Thanks for all of your great stories. Bye. Thank you, Joe. Now there's something new to add to the shadow man phenomena. Communication. Now I've been sitting here, racking my brain, trying to find another instance where 
someone claimed to have communicated with one of these entities. Yet, disappointedly, I came up empty-handed. I can't for the life of me recall any other experience with these things, detailing any sort of communication between the figure and the witness. And I suppose it goes without saying that none of these experiences stored in my brain mention lessons in invisibility either. So is this, as Jill first assumed, simply a bad dream, conjured and fed by the ongoing storm? Or was this an experience worthy of further exploration? I'll tell you what, if you too have also seemingly communicated with one of these things, we want to hear from you. one 888 night Maybe with your help we can shine some light on Jill's little mystery. Thanks again, Jill, for sharing. Okay, before we hit these last few stories up, just a little update. Mostly because I've had several people ask lately. The little film David Flora of Blurry Photos and I have been working on is trucking right along. We've been collecting media for it, commissioning artwork, maps, interviews, and tons of other elements and our fearless and talented editor, Matt, is still hard at work patching together the story. And our amazing illustrator, Jonathan, is doing so as well. So long story short, it's a massive undertaking, but we're cruising right along, and I suspect we'll be close to finishing by the end of spring. So if you're a backer, sit tight. That shipment will go out as soon as we've locked picture. Until then, trust me when I say... It'll all be worth the wait. And of course, on behalf of David, Matt, Jonathan, and the rest of the crew, we thank you for your patience. Now let's get ourselves back into the action with this thriller from Adam in the state of Florida. How you doing? My name's Adam. I live in Florida, Merritt Island, Florida. This story is about a house my friend owns and lives in, and, uh... About four years ago, we were at his house, and uh, this is an older neighborhood built in the 1950s, and um, our friends lived right next door, so we were all over there drinking some beers and watching TV football. kind of bored with it, so I decided to go to my friend's house next door where no one was. It's an empty house. He had three dogs, and they were all over there, so I figured get up and walk over there and just sit in some quiet so I did I probably had two beers you know no big deal and uh, I went over there sat on the couch and the three dogs were sitting on the couch with me it, uh, the dogs are Boston Terriers so I'm sitting there and I'm watching the dogs they're, they're all three of them are staring into the corner of the room this house is a two-bedroom, one-bath, very small. So you pretty much can sit on the couch and look into both rooms, and the bathroom connects both rooms. So the bathroom's on the, on the back side of the room. Anyway, I'm on the couch in front of the TV, one light on, sitting there watching these dogs, and they're, they're kind of cowering by their stare at the corner of the room. And I'm looking up there. And I see nothing. There's nothing there. And then I start watching the dogs. They're watching something move across the ceiling. 
and into the kitchen. And all three of them are watching it. So they jump down off the couch to kind of see what they, you know, went behind the wall. And they're all staring at it. And I said, holy cow. I, I stood up and said, I, I respect you. I'll let you have your space. I'll go back next door. And so I, I went back over to where my friends were, the house next door. And I brought the dogs. <laughs> Um, now I went in there and I told these guys, I said, Hey, Kyle, your house is haunted. And it, they all stopped and looked at me and said, shut up, you idiot. And I was like, okay. And I told them the story and they're like, oh, whatever. Well, Kyle, two years ago, broke up with his girlfriend. So he's going through a pretty tough time. He had been with a girl for 10 years and, uh, it was rough for him. And things started acting up in the house. I work with him. And he came to work one day and was like, man, I think there is something in my house. I said, oh, yeah? Well, what happened? He said, well, last night, all the cabinet doors were opening and slamming. And I said, well, I told you something's in there. So he's been having almost like a little bit of a poltergeist. Through all that negative energy he's, he's putting out, I think it's really ramped up. So he's seeing orbs. While he's laying in bed, he'll, he, he told me he's seen a... Uh, bright orb in the other bedroom and then it just disappears and then I guess a few people were over at his house and it was in the winter time it was last year and uh, a huge gust of wind blows through the house like a big gust to blow papers off the counter and it wasn't just him it was two other people and they all got up and walked out. So, I mean, things are uh, things are happening. But that's my story. I told them. <laughs> Have a good one. Thanks, Adam. Denial is a powerful element. It's much easier not to believe than to give in and admit that you might not be alone in your own home. In the interest of hearing all sides, I'd love to know if the ex-girlfriend experienced anything prior to the breakup. Maybe this thing, whatever it may be, is somehow connected to the energy of the living. Both good, as it was with Adam at the party, and bad energy. Perhaps like a breakup as Kyle experienced. Now regardless of my opinions and theories, we appreciate the entry, Adam. So thank you for calling in. And that's going to bring us to tonight's last entry. Or something like that. And to bring us home, here is our anonymous source, out of my state, of California. Hi there, Derek. I am going to remain anonymous. However, I'm calling from Big Sur, and my house is right next to a really large redwood grove. I've seen a lot of shadow people in Big Sur, and there's been a lot of locals that talk about shadow people as well. I always thought it was kind of folklore until I started finding evidence of it myself. I lived in this cabin for about two years and there's this really large redwood grove that is on the driveway of my property and you would always feel like you're being watched. It always feel really heavy. When I first moved in there, there was a pentagram built with stones 
my roommate and I tore it down, and then a couple days later, there was something else built in there, and there wasn't anyone around us, so it was really weird that people were just coming on our property just to go into the Shrekwood Grove. Uh, I had a buddy that stayed the night in there one evening, and I was petrified. I kept trying to beg him to come inside, but he was really eager to sleep out there, and he had these crazy dreams. However, I would always see, if you squint your eyes and look at the Redwood Grove, you would see just this wall of bodies like lining the redwood grove and it was about like five to six feet tall and you can see distinctly different heads but as far as the bodies go it was just like a block of just like this solid shadow it's really odd now when i would go to work and i'd have to walk about half a mile to the property and the road that i would walk on i would feel this presence right behind me and anytime i would turn around it was really short, honestly. It was about four feet tall. It felt like a child. When I would turn around, I wouldn't see anything. But as I'm walking forward, I can see the silhouette, this black silhouette just to the left. It was always on the left of me. It was really creepy, but I never felt endangered. But when I would go hiking, I would see people to the left and to the right of me. And I would turn around. I wouldn't see anything. Everywhere I went, I just felt like there was just this constant presence. It was really odd. It really didn't start happening until I moved to that cabin and then ever since then just been really aware of you know things around me yeah I was curious if anyone has experienced anything like that it was really odd like you would be immediately outside of it and you feel fine and as soon as you step in there's just this heaviness this pressure it was kind of hard to breathe my bedroom window faced the redwood grove and I would have to completely block out the window because I would get nightmares it was really weird I mentioned before that I had a buddy who would come and stay the night frequently and uh, he would always sleep in that redwood grove and there's pentagram there when I first moved in. It was right by this like really gnarly redwood tree that looked really cool. However, it was really dense and heavy. I wouldn't be able to hang out in that. It was a beautiful redwood grove. I would love to just lay in a hammock all day, but the energy was so dense I couldn't stand being in there for very long. My buddy was very drawn to that redwood grove, and he would sleep right where that pentagram was. I told him about it when I moved in, and he thought I was being silly. And I even told him about, you know, finding animal skulls and finding weird things in there. But when I would go out and grab him in the morning to go get breakfast, he would be sleeping in that same spot that the energy was really dense. He would always feel drawn to it. He said you'd always see owls flying over him. Um, there was a pair of owls that lived in the grove. It was weird that he would always end up sleeping in that one space. I never showed him where it was because I didn't want to freak him out. But I'm just curious if anyone has experienced anything similar to that. There's a lot of folklore about shadow people in Big Sur. I'm curious if anyone knows any more about that. I hope you have a great day or a great evening. And I look forward to seeing you next podcast. Thank you, caller. That spit of land is indescribable. To simply call it beautiful would be at best inadequate. The cliffs, the crashing waves, the deep blue water, the darkened groves, and the bright sandy beaches. It's a land of contrast, a land of sea and fog, a land of shadows. And anyone that's spent any amount of time in the Big Sur can tell you that the place is magical, mysterious, and 
dare I say otherworldly. And as one would imagine, the place is full of stories and legends. One in particular is very reminiscent to what our caller conveyed to us this evening. Shadow-like entities that for centuries now have been said to lurk the shadows, crags, cracks, and canyons of the Santa Lucia Mountains. Many claim the Chumash tribes told legends of tall, shadowy figures that stood vigilant over the coast. The Spanish, too, spoke of these motionless figures, always watching, ever observant. 20th century writers John Steinbeck and Robertson Jeffers wrote of these shapes, even helping to put a name to the phenomena. They call them the Dark Watchers, and believe it or not, our caller isn't the only one that's seen them lately. We see the Dark Watchers all the time. They are always out at dusk and dawn. All you see is just a tall, dark silhouette. They almost look like horses standing on their hind legs with the assistance of a walking stick. It's pretty creepy, and nobody has ever seen them close up. They disappear the moment you try to get close. Up in an area where no human could climb, I saw a black figure in plain daylight. I never seen anything like it up in the mountain. It was darker than dark, could not explain it. Today, I saw it again, and in the same spot. We passed the San Luis Obispo Reservoir, and as we drove on the road, I saw something at a distance down at the end of the mountain. It was a really big human figure, but it wasn't. It had a black cape, kind of like the Grim Reaper, and it was leaning over, holding onto a staff. Even in mid-light, he was very black and reminded me of a raven. We were coming home to the San Juan Bautista side when we saw a very large dark figure standing at the edge of the mountains. It appeared to have a large cape with straight shoulders that were very broad. It seemed to have a hunch on its back. At first from a distance I thought it was a condor, but when I got closer, it stood almost over ten feet tall. It did not notice us driving behind it, but when we found a spot on the cliffy road to turn around and get a better look, it was gone. Now that sample of contemporary sightings comes to us via an amazing little video on the subject by Skeptoid with Brian Dunning. If you happen to be skeptical in nature, I think you'll enjoy the full clip, of which I've linked to in tonight's show notes. I scoured the web for media like it, and I'm here to tell you the pickings were slim. And that's coming from someone that actually did a video in the Big Sur, covering the subject. Coincidentally, you can find that in the Monsters Among Us YouTube page. So there you go, caller. At the very least, there's a legend in place, and a few sample experiences to help corroborate your claims. There's certainly something spooky about those mountains. And there's definitely something watching. Thanks again for calling in. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. If you like what you hear, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And while you're surfing the web, do us a favor and leave us a rate and review wherever possible. Now keep listening for a sneak peek of tonight's Beyond episode. And for the rest of you, I'll see you over at Patreon. Finally this evening, tonight's score was provided by Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse. Co.ag Music and Carl Casey 
at White Bat Audio. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time. Alright folks, tonight is the night all these new Patreon changes take place, so bear with me while I scribble down a map of the updates. As you can hear, there is still a secret story, which will now be the opener for this new extended program, or something like that. I'm sure you'll get the hang of it as we move along. Anyway, here to kick all this off for us is Haley from the state of Minnesota. Hi, Derek. My name is Haley, and I live in Minnesota right now. I was just listening to season 9, episode 13, and heard Allie's call about the mummy. And I just thought, oh my gosh, I've got to pull over and call in and share my weird mummy experience. So this happened probably eight months ago, so maybe in fall of 2020. I was laying in bed. It was probably three in the morning, so middle of the night. I woke up and I saw like, uh, I want to say it was like nine foot tall mummy in my room, just kind of hovering sort of to the right of the bed and it was turning very slowly from left to right and it, it, it had the wrappings. It was very skeletal looking and I am fairly positive it was a hallucination. My boyfriend regularly has hallucinations like when he wakes up and isn't quite awake yet but this is the first time it's ever happened to me so that's why it was notable to me. It's never happened to me since and yeah I I was really freaked out by it but I and and it wasn't sleep paralysis because I was able to move I remember shifting in the bed to try to get a better look at it. But at the same time, my cat was asleep right next to me, and she didn't react. So that's why I feel fairly positive it wasn't there, because usually if something weird is up, the cats will react to it. Anyway, hopefully it's of interest, even if you don't end up using it. Have a great day. Thank you so much for the podcast. It has provided me hours and hours and hours of entertainment. Thanks. Thank you, Haley. It's certainly a notable sighting, in my opinion, and yet another in a long line of stories about strange figures entering bedrooms. As Haley had mentioned, the mummy has previously been named, as had various dinosaurs, strange dogs, and, believe it or not, monkeys in overalls. So maybe don't be so quick to assume a hallucination is to blame Haley. It's always good to explore all your options. You know, just in case. Thanks again for calling in. And this is where we leave our regular listeners and venture into a world beyond our own. 
If you'd like to join us, visit patreon.com forward slash monsters among us podcast and select the $5 level. Now this next one will surely scratch any itch pertaining to odd or strange coincidences. Please welcome Emma from the Carolinas to the program. Hey Derek, my name is Emma and I am a repeat offender caller. I've always wondered growing up like if people can be cryptic, like you know, do certain people have certain advantages? 